scripture reading today will be from Psalm chapter 27, and that is Psalm chapter 27, and we will be reading verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Good morning, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so good to uh, be here uh, with you this morning. I know that we have some visitors here, and we're very thankful for your presence. I hope that I get a chance to meet you um, before you leave, uh, but we're very thankful for your presence this morning. And uh, this morning is kind of special, the first Sunday of 2021. It finally came, right? The end of the longest year in recorded history um, finally, finally ended. It, uh, <laughs> it finally came. And, and uh, the, the last few days, if I'm being honest with you, the last few days of 20 and 20 almost felt like that, you know, that last leg of a long trip where we only have about 30 more miles to go, but it seems like it takes three hours. You know, that, that's almost what it felt, it felt like. And to say that this past year was a, was a difficult one is almost seems to underestimate it. It almost seems cliche to say that. There was a lot of loss in the past year. Uh, financial loss for some. Economic loss for some. There was political, social upheaval. There was emotional strain. There were spiritual battles, and of course, there was the loss of loved ones and of our fellow citizens within our country, so many. And so we've been a people in waiting for this past year, straining and looking ahead to 2021, hoping that we might turn the corner, that we might see an end to the nightmare, that we might breathe a sigh of relief. And as I thought about that, I, I really struggled as to what to preach about today. I was talking with, with John the week before, and I said, you know, I don't know if I've ever struggled with a sermon this much, is to know what to preach to you this morning. Because I want to talk about New Year's resolutions and I want to talk about new goals and expectations. But I'm somewhat hesitant to do that. A little bit shy, if you will, after what happened this last year. All the plans that were spoiled. And it looks like it isn't quite over. 2020, that is. If 2020 was a movie, it seems as if we're in the extended edition. The director's cut, if you will. But as I thought about that longing for the imminence of 20 and 21, I, I realized that ultimately the reason that we longed for it is because we wanted something new. There was that hope that, you know, once the clock struck midnight, that all would be made well, that all would be new, that it would be different from the last year that we endured. We were a people in waiting, expecting, and hoping 
that the future would be better than the present and certainly better than the past. But in reality, as I thought about that, I realized that as Christians, we were already a people in waiting long before 2020 started. Because Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await, we're waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The life of a Christian, the life of a disciple of Jesus, is lived under the shadow of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That was set when our Lord ascended to the right hand of God and the apostles are looking up and they're seeing Jesus ascend and the angels say to them in Acts 1 and verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So notice that there at the beginning of the mission of the church, the, the book of Acts that sets forth the mission and the work of the church, it's all under the shadow of this expectation that this Christ that they saw go into heaven will one day return. Over and over again, that theme is emphasized. The return of Christ is the focal point of the church. The constant refrain of the New Testament is that Jesus is coming back to judge the world and to, to bring the righteous with him into glory. Acts 17 and verse 31, for example, we see that. And even the worship of the church was offered under the context of the return of Christ. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26 where Paul is talking about communion and the Lord's Supper, he says, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes. So the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of two things. It's a proclamation that God has secured our justification within Christ but it's also a proclamation that that justification implies a return for ultimate salvation at the return of Christ. And so once we see this theme within the New Testament and we think about how as a church we're trying to the best of our ability to reflect the New Testament pattern, to be the people of the New Testament, I think a question we need to ask ourselves is does the return of Jesus play such an important role in your life? Does it play an, as an important role in your life as it did within the life of the first century? Do we face each day thinking, Jesus might return today? And do we really believe that? Does that thought govern your life? Do we long for the return of Jesus as much as we longed for the turn of 2021? And this morning, I want us to briefly kind of think about this because I think it's really important moving forward and hopefully it will help us to, to refocus on what we truly are about as God's people. That we truly are a people in waiting. We're a people in waiting. And this morning I want to discuss just briefly what exactly that means as we move forward into this new year, as we move forward into successive years if the Lord doesn't return. And hopefully it will help us have a genuine expectation for the return of Christ. 
So this is our main thought for this morning. That we wait as God's people, we wait for his appearance with eagerness while groaning as we watch soberly. We wait for his appearance with eagerness while groaning as we watch soberly. And so we wait. We wait for what? We wait, as the scripture says, for his appearance. The language of the return of Jesus is, is always using this language of appearance or revelation. That's a word that's constantly used when talking about the return of Christ. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7 it says, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing or the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 it says, Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. Keep that scripture in mind, because we'll come back to it. And so, this idea of, of Jesus just appearing and revealing himself is in accordance with what the angels said to the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that it is going to be a visible reappearance of Jesus Christ that just as you saw him ascend you will also see him descend as we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 presently Jesus dwells in the heavenly realm the heavenly places as Paul says in the book of Ephesians and we see him by the eye of faith but one day all of the world will see him one day all of the nations will recognize him as king this is what John says in Revelation 1 and verse 7 behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And so, this use of the language of appearing and revealing himself, it makes the return of Christ, the eminence of his return, even more real. Because the idea is that Jesus isn't in some far off universe that he isn't so far away. But the idea is one day he's just going to appear. That he's going to be revealed. That he's presently concealed. But one day he will just be revealed. A revelation. And when he returns, it will be a visible event in which the ultimate reality becomes the only reality. And this reappearance, you know, it, it, it's somewhat unsettling for us because Jesus is very clear because he says that the reappearing of Christ is going to take us off guard in the sense that we cannot expect it or predict it. In Matthew 24 and verse 44, he says, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We've seen false prophet after false prophet after false prophet through the years try and predict the return of Christ. And they're wrong every time. And Jesus says it's going to come in a moment that you don't expect it to. And he says also that it's going to come in seemingly normal circumstances. 
In Luke chapter 17, 26 and 27, he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus says that it was, I mean, there, when, the, when the flood came in Noah's day, I mean, everything was normal, everything was going as it was, and then all of a sudden there is this immediate judgment upon the world. And he says that's how the return of Christ is going to be. I, I think sometimes when we think of the return of Jesus, we think of like some apocalyptic world where there's hardly anybody left and, you know, governments have fallen apart. And, and Jesus says it's just going to be like a normal average day. It's not something that you can predict. It's not something that you can expect. But this is what we look forward to as Christians. That one day, the one who we presently don't see and yet love is going to reappear. That he's going to reveal himself. That he will judge the wickedness of the world. And that he will bring us into his glory. And because of this, we not only wait for his appearing, but we await it with eagerness. We wait it with eagerness. As Christians, we, don't, we shouldn't be waiting for the return of Christ with dread, but with joy. That's what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 9 and verse 28. He says at the end there that he comes to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. They're looking, they're longing, they're waiting for it. He brings the same idea in Romans 8 and verse 23. He says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. That language of the adoption of sons is speaking of the ultimate culminating act within the resurrection in which we are declared ultimately to be the children of God. In the resurrection of Christ, nobody can no longer deny that you're a child of God because it's going to be evident. And he says, we're eagerly waiting for that. We're longing for it. We are... It, just, just by experience, we are eager for what we love. Uh, if you have a vacation maybe that's upcoming, you're, you're eagerly, you're longing for that. You're eager for it. We're, we're, we're bringing in our fourth uh, child and, and we're eager for that. I think Jessica's even a little bit more eager than I am, right? We're eager and we're, we're expecting that. We're longing for it. So we, we're eager for what we love and what we care about, what we expect and what we hope for. And as Paul put it in Philippians 1 verse 23, it is far better, he says, to be with Jesus. It is far better. When you think of Jesus coming back, are you excited or are you afraid? If you're afraid, maybe the beginning of the year is a good time to do some self-reflection. To ask yourself why you're afraid. Is there sin in your life that you're afraid will be revealed? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a fear of those that you know will be lost. And I think that's a, that's a genuine concern. But also remembering that we cannot care more for the lost than God does. And that he knows within his own timing what will be the perfect timing. Maybe though it's something more devious and more deceitful. Maybe it is our love for the present world. Maybe we think that things could not possibly be better with Christ than they are at this present moment. John put it well in John, 1 John chapter 12 and First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 28. He says, "Now, little children, abide in Him, 
so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. But why would we be excited then about the return of Christ as Christians? Why, why would we be able to look forward to that with eagerness and with longing? Well, number one, because mercy will be given. In Jude, verse 21, Jude writes, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, Set your hope fully on the grace of God that will appear. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you're waiting for mercy. You're waiting for grace. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 and verse 1. So we can eagerly long for that because we know that our Lord is going to be merciful to us as His people. But not only do we eagerly wait, but we wait because righteousness will be perfected. One of the reasons that we struggle within this life as in Christians is because we see the standard of God's truth and we know that we want to be better, but we fail so often. And, and, and so when can we hope, when can we expect to, to be perfected in our righteousness? When, when can we hope that we're, we're not going to make any more mistakes and we're going to always do what the Lord wants us to do and we're going to find fulfillment and joy in His will and not in our will? At the return of our Lord. Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We're waiting for that. For righteousness to be perfected within us at the return of Christ. So we eagerly wait because we know that mercy will be received because righteousness will be perfected. But we also eagerly wait because a new body will be received. Romans 8 and verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption or the buying back of our body. We long for that day when we will have a body that no longer has to worry about viruses or illnesses or death or weaknesses or aging. And, and the only way that's going to happen, brethren, the only way that we will ever have that happen is if Jesus comes back. And so as Christians, we long for that. If you've ever suffered through an illness or if you've ever lived in fear of something like many of us have over this past year, you, you, you wished and you hoped that there would be a life when you didn't have to worry about that. And Paul says that that time is coming. God will redeem your body within the resurrection. He will give it a new nature. He will transform it into something that's imperishable and incorruptible and not tainted by sin or by, by pain or suffering. And so we wait because a new body will be received. And then we also can eagerly wait because a new world will be made. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This, this present world and this present life with all its brokenness, with all of its 2020s, with all of its, its suffering and its, its tragedy and its trial, he said, we look forward to something better. We look into a place where only righteousness dwells. We're looking for that new world. He said, that's what we're longing for, but that only comes at the return of Christ. And so we eagerly wait for it. Because that's the result 
a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So I look forward to that. I look forward because I get a new body. My righteousness will be perfected. Mercy will be received. And if I truly believe that, if I, if I truly believe that's what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, then I can eagerly long for that. I long for it. And it's why John, at the end of Revelation, as he's writing this letter to persecuted Christians who are suffering so greatly, it's why he says in Revelation 22 and verse 20, Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And yet this eagerness for the return of Christ, it doesn't prevent the difficulties of this present life. Because as we await our hope, trials are experienced. And so even though we wait with eagerness, we also wait while we are groaning. We wait while we're groaning. The word that the Bible uses to describe deep, emotional, spiritual, and physical anguish is the word groan. You see it in a passage that we've read through several times, Romans 8 and verse 23. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons. There's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of groaning in 2020. There was groaning at inconveniences. None of us will look at toilet paper the same. There was a lot of uh, groaning at limited travel, a lot of inconveniences and difficulties. But there was also a lot of very real groaning. Those suffering and dying from this terrible virus. Those groaning emotionally from the loss of relationship and loneliness. There's a lot of groaning. And yet in our anguish, the Christian groans with hope and expectation. Because we know that the redemption of our pain and our sorrow will come. And so we wait for Jesus patiently. We endure the suffering of the present hour. And that's why constantly the New Testament writers are saying, if you're going to endure this Christian life, there has to be steadfastness. There has to be patience. Because the only way that you'll obtain the promise is through patience and endurance and long suffering. Long suffering. The scriptures never dance around that. It recognizes it. So we groan while we wait eagerly. But this waiting, it isn't stagnant. It isn't apathetic. When we say wait for the Lord and, and where people are waiting, we're not just saying, you know, oh, we're going to sit here in our pew and we're just going to sit around and wait for the Lord to come back. That's not the language that's used or the meaning of the language that's used when it says we wait for the Lord. And so we wait as we watch soberly. Now, in the Old Testament times, cities would have had watchmen on the walls and in the towers around the city. And these watchmen guarded the city through the night. They watched for enemies. They watched for anyone who was trying to sneak in and, and create issues for the town. And if you were a watchman and you missed a shadow passing through the night or you missed a stranger in disguise, it could mean the end of your life and the life of those that you love. And so because of this, the watchman always had to be on alert. He was always sober. 
He was always attentive to his duty. He was always keeping a watch. He was clear-headed through the night. And the same imagery and metaphor is used of the Christian when it comes to our life in view of the return of Christ. In Titus chapter 2, for example, Paul says, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, or your translation might say, sober lives, upright and godly lives in the present age, as we are doing what? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living soberly in this world doesn't just mean guarding ourselves from uh, drunkenness and other mind-numbing drugs, but rather it also means that we see life as it is. We watch soberly. We see life, again, in the view of the return of Christ. We look at life under the shadow of the imminence of His return. We don't allow ourselves to be deceived by the present world into thinking that there is some alternative reality where Jesus does not come back. Because the only ultimate reality is that He will come back. And so we see life soberly in that way. In fact, Jesus warned us against viewing life differently, of, of falling into this relaxed position of just not taking life seriously, just kind of coasting and going along and, and assuming that Christ will not return. When he said in Matthew 24, he tells the story of this wicked servant who sees that his master delaying and returning from a trip. And it says, but if the wicked servant says to himself, my, servant's my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. And he goes on to talk about how he'd be punished for that. My master's delayed. Jesus is taking too long. But so he doesn't watch. He doesn't live soberly and see life seriously. But it also means that we see our neighbors as they are. To watch soberly means that we see our neighbors as they really are. Those that are lost and are in need of salvation. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12... Peter uses this very interesting language where he says you're waiting for, so you're waiting for the return of Christ, but he also says you're hastening the coming of the day of God. Now hastening means to bring about quicker. You know, it's like, uh, you know, your, your child who's taking their sweet time and you said, hurry up, right? Hurry up and get down here. Hurry up and come to me. And so Peter's saying that you not only wait for the return of Christ, but you're trying to hurry it along. You're trying to hurry the Lord. The, the, how, how then are you doing that? As Christians, how are you hurrying the day of the Lord? One second, just in verse 9, just previously, he said that the reason that the Lord isn't coming back, he's not slow concerning his promise, as some men count slowness, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he says, he's waiting so that the world can repent. He's waiting for that last person, if you will, that can repent and turn to him because he doesn't want to pour out his wrath. He doesn't want to pour out his judgment upon them. So he's waiting. And so Peter says, as Christians, you can hurry that along by doing what? By getting them to repent. Now, I think there's some metaphorical language that, that Peter is using here. But he is telling the Christians that as his people, as his church, we are participating and bringing about the return of Christ through our efforts as a mission. As we participate in the mission of Christ, we are hastening the day of the Lord because we are wanting him to return. And again, while I think there's some metaphor to that, I, I wonder sometimes if the Lord's return was dependent, if the Lord's return was dependent, upon how serious we as Christians took his return, 
on how ardently we longed for it and prayed for it, would Jesus ever really come back? Now the sermon isn't meant to discourage you. Far from it, in fact. I hope 2021 is much easier than 2020. I hope things get back to a sense of normalcy. But rather it's a reminder that even as 2021 moves forward, we are still a people in waiting. Living in expectation at the imminent return of our Savior and our King. And that's where our eagerness lies. That's where our hope lies as Christians. There's a question that Jesus asked in Luke 18 and verse 8 that's always troubled me. He simply asked this. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's maybe ask this another way. When Jesus returns, will he find anyone waiting? Let's make it more personal. When Jesus returns, will he find you waiting? Do you long for his return with excitement or fear? If fear, maybe it's because you don't know your position with the Lord. You, you don't know where you stand with the Lord. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never responded to the gospel. Maybe you've never been justified by the blood of Christ, by placing your faith in Him and repenting and turning to Him, confessing Him as Lord, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you've never done that. You don't have that confidence. If not, this is the morning to do it. You can move into 2021 with that assurance and confidence, knowing that you're covered by the grace and the mercy of God, knowing that your blessed assurance comes from the righteousness of Christ and not by your own righteousness. Or maybe you're a Christian that has fallen away. It's been an easy year to do that. Maybe you've even been at some of our services, but you're not present in heart and mind. And you want to rededicate your life to Christ. You want to reconfirm your faith in him and repent whatever your need is why don't you come as together we stand and as we sing oh,
for being here this morning. If you're guests with us, we are especially thankful for you being here.